Advent is preparing for a baby. Now, we, we do a lot in our culture to prepare for babies' births, and our world are very special. When we hear about them, we're excited, and, and there's about three questions when somebody says that they're going to have a baby. There are three important questions. The first is, when are you due? When is this going to happen? Two, what is it? What is it? And the fact that it's an it until you find out what it is, it stays an it. And then the third thing is, well, do you have a name picked out? You know what you're going to call it. And, and what's become popular in our culture is the reveal party. Now, this is something that uh, you know, 12, 12 grandkids, you know, they, they have to find a unique way. They just can't say it's a boy or a girl. They have to do some reveal event. And so you've been to them. Uh, you may be served, uh, there's a cake, and when they cut into the cake, the color of the cake will explain the gender of the child. Or maybe it's a cupcake. Then it became a powdered explosion of some kind where the powder, color of the powder went everywhere. And then it was glitter that exploded. And then it was fireworks. We've had folks that the, the color of you know the firework in the sky will determine, will reveal the baby. Well, they, they get a little out of hand. And uh, if you remember uh, a couple of years ago in San Bernardino, California, a reveal party burned a forest, 23,000 acres were burnt by the reveal. And so, uh, but this, this Advent, um, our Advent, we're looking at a very unique reveal of who this child is. The most unique reveal, I believe, in all of history. It's unique for three reasons. One, because most gender reveal parties happen, oh, seven, seven and a half, eight months before the baby. This reveal party we're going to look at happened 700 years before the birth of the baby. The second reason that it's uh, unique is that it's presented in the prophetic perfect. Now, all of you who missed that day in English class, the prophetic perfect is stating a incident or a happening that is in the future as if it is happening right now in the present. That's called the prophetic perfect. And this birth announcement, seven hundred years ago was given as if it was happening that very time. The third thing that makes this birth announcement so unique is that the baby is given four names, four names. Now, in the Bible, this baby is referred to with maybe 300 different names. So why 
700 years before the birth of this baby, why these four names are so important. What makes them stand out? Well, this reveal was so moving, so powerful 700 years ago that for 700 years, people got up every day hoping it was the day that this birth would really happen. It was what gave them hope to move forward. It allowed them to look forward to something that was promised in the midst of difficulties. And I think that's so appropriate for our time now. I don't remember, as I've shared before in my 60-some years of life, a time where things were so uneasy and difficult and things, relationships were strained and hope has been waning. The theme of our Advent season is called the thrill of hope. And, and, and what I want to remind you that we've talked about before in the idea of hope, hope is not a wish, like I hope it will just snow on Christmas and no other day after that. That's kind of a wish thing. But biblical hope is a confident assurance in what has been promised. You can count on it as if it has already happened. And when you understand hope in that way, there is a thrill that you can count on. There is a sense of excitement, of pleasure, of I can get through what I'm facing because I know what is yet to come that I can count on. And so we're looking at this ancient prophecy 700 years before the birth of Christ, why it brought hope to a people and why in the midst of the difficulties and struggles that we face, why it will bring hope and a thrill of hope to us. Now, the revealed text that I'm talking about is one that if I started, almost everybody in here could finish, not because you all are Bible scholars, but because at Christmas, it's such a common scripture that I imagine you will get a Christmas card this year. Christmas cards are those things they used to send in the mail with a stamp and everything when mail. On those Christmas cards will be this promise this prophecy. And if it's not one that you will receive, it's probably on one that you will send. And here is the text. It comes from Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, did you notice, uh, go back a slide, Stu, to the four names of this reveal of this, the birth of this child. Now, your name. How did you get your name? And why are you named your name? Many times I'll be out at a restaurant and I will ask the waiter, the waitress, their name, and, and I'll say, well, where, where did you get that? Why are you called that? And it stuns them for a while, but what's more stunning is that over half of them say, I don't know. I have no idea why my parents called me what they called me. Now, when our children were born, my, our first child was a, a boy, and we called him Andrew. We called him Andrew because we loved the fact that Andrew, one of the disciples of Jesus, really the first disciple that Jesus met, all he's known three times in the Bible, he is the one that brought other people to Jesus. He's known as the friendly apostle. He brought Peter. He brought some Greeks that wanted to see Jesus. It was Andrew that brought the little boy with the sack lunch that Jesus multiplied into the loaf. Those are the only times outside of the litany of names that Andrew is named. We wanted our child to be someone who would introduce others to Jesus. And Mark came along. We named Mark because we, he was the first streaker in the Bible. Mark is, the scholars believe, the night Jesus was arrested, the, the young man hiding in the bushes, that they grabbed him, his, his cloak and, and he ran naked through. We thought that's a good way. No, he is cousin to Peter, who wrote the shortest gospel, one of energy, who was powerful in the life of the early church. And then God gave us a little girl, and we named her Jamie. And uh, for a couple of reasons. One, Jesus' brother was uh, head of the church in the early years. His name was James. And when I was confirmed in the Catholic Church, you pick up the name of a saint. So uh, my saint that I picked was James. And so she is named after one of the leaders of the church, but also me. Now, if, if you would think we name people to live into their name, we hope that by naming them, that's something that our children or might live into, might become like. Jesus was the only person born who was named for who he was. That's the significance of these names. These names are not for Jesus to live into. 
that he would become a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, or prince of peace. Jesus is named because that is who he is. And what we're going to do this Advent season is we're going to unpack why those four names out of the hundreds that is, he's referred to in the Bible, why is he named those four? What does that reveal for us? Now, the first one is Wonderful Counselor. Now, if you had your Bible, we would have a discrepancy amongst the text. Some of your Bibles, there would be a comma after wonderful. And others would not be there. And we should have a church fight over whether there should be a comma or not a comma. How many are for the comma? How many are for not the comma? There we go. Well, you would go against the Messiah. The music of the Messiah, not the Messiah. You would go against the Messiah. Because how's that sung? Wonderful counselor. The rest of you would side with Amy Grant. Wonderful counselor. My, never mind. Sorry, Amy. <laughs> but the idea doesn't matter. The problem is they're both nouns. They're Wonderful is not an adjective. That's where they're struggling. Scholars are struggling. But the way that it's written, it's wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. In Hebrew, there are no punctuations. We add those. The word wonderful comes from like pala, pale. And it means astonishing. It means miraculous. It means too awesome for words. It means a phenomena that you can't even describe. That's what that word wonderful means. It's, it's first in the scripture where Moses is explaining what it's like to walk through the reed sea that's parted and it's dry land and they're walking through uh, the waters to get away from the Egyptians into what would be the promised land. The first time this is, it's miraculous. There's no way to put your mind around what has happened. We have a miraculous Counselor, a counselor. A counselor is someone who comes alongside of us, someone who helps us through a task, through an emotion, through a distress, a difficulty. Many of us in this room, including me, have seen a counselor because we've needed help navigating things in our lives. And the best counselors, the best counselors are ones who have experienced what we are experiencing. The best counselors are ones who have stood in the difficulties where we have stood. And you know how you know that that's true? You and I will 
be examined in our lifetime will go and be examined by doctors or under an x-ray machine or some kind of a machine. And when the person is gruff and pushy and mean and puts you on that cold table and doesn't care how much it hurts as you're there, it's not a great experience. But then you go and the person is gentle and, and kind and checking with you to see how you are doing. Nine times out of 10, it's because they were on that table. They had that experience. They have known what it's like to be in pain and discomfort and have to be manipulated in such a way. They identify with your pain. I love when the writer of Hebrews says this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. The writer of Hebrews wants you to know that Jesus, in his life, will have experienced every pain that you have experienced or will experience. It is an amazing thing that we celebrate God coming and tabernacling. And that's the word that's used in, in John. He comes and dwells among us. He comes to our world and he lives in the wilderness with us. We have a God who came and left heaven's throne, who was born in a feeding trough, who lived an ordinary life like we do, who struggled in the midst of difficulties like we do. If you know hunger, so did Jesus. If you know loneliness, so did Jesus. Homelessness, grief, rejection, betrayal, torture, injustice, so does Jesus. He experienced it all. Have you been betrayed by a close friend? Are you facing death? You go, wait a minute. I mean, I, I'm, I'm facing unanswered prayer. I've been praying for something for a long time. Well, in the garden, so did Jesus. He prayed that this cup that he was about to drink, this activity would pass by him, but it went unanswered. But no, I, I'm feeling distant from God. You don't know what life has been like. So did Jesus. In the moment of his greatest need, he cried out, my God, my God, where are you? You see, we have a miraculous, counselor 
an, un, in, an incredible who has experienced everything and who comes alongside of us. But there's more to this word counselor. We've cheapened the idea of counselor from its original intent in the Bible. Do you know who the, was referred to in the Bible as the counselor? And I know you would say the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. In the Old Testament Hebrew, as this text comes, Solomon was the counselor. He was royalty. He, people came to him in his wisdom for counseling. That's where this word begins to, to take form in a king who can set with wisdom the direction of your life. And this king who sets the direction for your life is too big for words, but knows everything about you, who knows the end from the beginning who sets the pattern for our lives. Jesus will reveal that he is the wonderful counselor when he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the one that will set the direction for your life for eternity. And he came alongside. We don't have time to talk about all the folks, but think of the woman at the well who's hiding from life and from people, meets Jesus, runs back into town. He changed the trajectory of her life, yelling, come see the man, the counselor, the one who's wise, who, who set my life in perspective. Could he be wonderful? Could he be the Messiah? And the town said, came later, met Jesus and said, we no longer believe because of what you said, but we've encountered him as well. And the night that he was betrayed, the counsel that he gives to his followers and the comfort and the direction. So how does Jesus counsel us? Well, a crowd came to see Jesus. And they stayed so long, he had to feed them. And there were over 5,000 men, so there were much, many more with women and children. And from a, a sack lunch of a couple of fish and a couple of loaves, he fed the crowd, and they were amazed. He was wonderful. He was miraculous. And he knew that they wanted to make him king, and he kind of, slithered off, but they found him, and they wanted more from this wonderful, miraculous person. And then he gives them this lesson. He says, I fed you and you were full. If you really want to be full, you're going to have to eat my body and drink my blood. It was figurative for you're going to have to be all in with me. You're going to have to take me in to your life. 
But see, they wanted the wonderful without the counselor. And so what they did is they slowly walked away until all that was left were the 12. And Jesus looks at the 12 and says, do you not want to go also? And look it up in John chapter 6, verses 6, 6 to 68. Peter says, Lord, to whom else should we go? Could we go? You have the very words of life. You are wonderful, miraculous, but you are the wonderful counselor because you know the direction of all there is for eternity. And we have his word. And the question is, is this word something that we just comprehend and know, or is this word one that we take into our hearts? Do we live by this word or just acknowledge it as miraculous? Do we allow him to be our wonderful counselor where the Holy Spirit takes these words and writes them on our hearts that we become more like him? If you are going to know this baby as a wonderful counselor, then you're going to have to ingest his words because he will speak to you and through you, through his Holy Spirit and give you direction now and forever. You think about that. Amen. Pray with me, gracious Heavenly Father. We can know the written word without knowing the living word. We can mentally read and know, but it's not till we experientially know your leading. Pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us, enlighten us, teach us. I pray we would know the wonderful counselor and their direction for our lives in this world. And I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you, who is trying to figure it out either on their own or by reading just for knowledge instead of reading to know. Words of the counselor. May we live wondrous lives because we know the words of the wonderful counselor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.